Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today's date is June 12th, Wednesday, June 12th, and today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are at page 27 that starts with the paragraph, Some of Our Alcoholic Readers. Our readers today are Michelle, Kimmy, Julie, Sharon, Rose, and Margaret. The reference number for our previous day, Tuesday, June 11th, is 4623. That's 4623. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Rose to read the 12 steps, please. Thank you, Amy. This is Rose, a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. The 12 steps. One. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. 
Thanks so much, Rose. I will now call on Margaret Kay to read the 12 traditions, please. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Margaret, uh, compulsive overeater in South Jersey. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group wants to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA is such what never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thanks, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify ourselves as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 27, the first full paragraph starting with some of our alcoholic readers. I will ask Michelle if you could please start reading. Yes, thanks, Amy. Um, good morning. This is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Good morning, Vision for You. Some of our alcoholic readers may think that they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with his doctor. The doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. And um, so they're setting the stage here in this chapter. There is a solution um, with a concrete example of Roland Hazard, um, what's happening to him as he um, has this experience with Dr. Young. 
Um, we've already been told, you know, previously they're setting the stage here, um, page 25, that there is a solution. Um, you know, can I identify in and say that, yes, I do have the mind um, of, of a chronic alcoholic? Can I say that, you know, I am a compulsive overeater? And, and they've told me that, um, you know, I, ne- I need spiritual help. They've already told me that, and that that's what's helped these 100 recovered people. Um, that indeed they're, um, with, you know, a spiritual help, it's revolutionized their attitude, and it's revolutionized my whole attitude towards life. And that happened because of working these steps and allowing, as it says, our Creator to enter into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. So a roadblock for me can be if I think that I can do this without spiritual help. Um, so, you know, I am just like Roland Hazard. You know, the doctor is speaking to me. Michelle, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. And um, unless I accept the fact that I need spiritual help, I too cannot recover. I'm in that, that case of um, where I have that state of mind of a chronic alcoholic. And, you know, what is that state of mind? You know, how do I see life? I, you know, I see life as, uh, before I got recovered as, um, you know, the glass was half empty. Um, there was negative thinking. There was, you know, my worldview was everyone was out to get me, so I better get that other person first before, I, before it happens to me. And with that kind of thinking um, that, you know, uh, the world's out to get me, um, there's no, and I'm full of fear, and I'm full of, full of self-centered fear. I'm full of selfishness, um, self-seeking. What can I get out of this life instead of what can I give to it? Um, and dishonest, lying about things, not being my authentic self. Um, those were also blocks uh, for my higher power to be able to come in. So that mind is not going to allow my me to have a spiritual experience. It's not going to allow me. Um, to to see life in a different way. But these steps were the process. That was my way out. That was my way to revolutionize my way of thinking and my way of living. And that happened as a process. Um, those action steps especially, you know, step four and five, that's when I started feeling, as the big book tells me, that nearness to my creator and where the drink problem, or for me that compulsive overeating problem was starting to fade or to be feel like it was removed. But the most miraculous thing that has happened for me is once I realized and once I accepted, as it says, some certain simple attitudes and to follow some a few rules, and which are based on the fact that I need spiritual help, that I'm beyond human aid, that I cannot do this on my own, um, that I need these 12 steps um, and I need this, this program of recovery, that's what's going, that's my only hope. Um, and unless I can see that I have the mind of a chronic alcoholic and that I cannot do without spiritual help, and that at that point feeling hopeless and, okay, here's some people who have recovered and they're telling me that this is going to, to help to change me and so I can have that psychic change so I can recover. And today it is a miracle for me that when I wake up in the morning and I connect with my higher power, it's a miracle that I'm saying, well, what can I do? Instead of saying, well, you know, what can I do to get out of life? I'm asking God, how can I be of maximum service to you? And that's a whole new way of thinking for me. And and that has happened by accepting spiritual help, by realizing 
that I cannot do without spiritual help. I cannot go through this day without spiritual help. I need a power greater than myself. Needed it for the miracle to stop compulsively overeating, and I needed it um, for the miracle to happen um, that my mind can be changed and healed. Um, otherwise, um, you know, I'm hopeless. Um, that state of mind existed to that same extent that it did with Roland Hazard. And the doctor said that he'd never seen one single case recover where it was that where it was that bad, where it was to that extent. And so at first I'm a little deflated thinking, oh, my gosh, there's no hope for me. But the story continues, and it starts with saying that, you know, some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. So unless that thinking is changed, um, you know, that's an important step. That's a roadblock, and that, that kind of thinking needs to be changed. But the truth is that I cannot do without spiritual help. And that is the that is the solution. I need spiritual help. And thank you for allowing me to share. I'll pass. Thank you, Michelle. Would anyone else care to share on what was read? This is Hello. Nancy. Can I share? Hi, this is Linda in Connecticut. I'd like to share if I may. Okay, I've heard Nancy and Linda, and I heard uh, someone before Nancy. Could you uh, tell me your name, please? Rose. Yes. Okay, so I got Rose, Kim, Nancy, and Linda. I'll try to keep track of it, but go ahead. Um, go ahead, uh, Rose. Thank you, Amy. This is uh, Rose, recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And um, let's see, the first sentence and the last sentence, some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Um, I certainly did. And then uh, the last one, our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. Well, actually, it was that sentence that uh, got my attention because in uh, January 2012, essentially, I didn't have a doctor saying anything to me. I had life saying to me my life was really over, um, uh, and and uh, it included... Uh, uh, eating compulsively in a way that I was out of control with, and after being in a way for years, believing I had all the solutions, I had all the answers, I also had all the connections with God, I had all the knowledge, so I thought I needed. Um, and the reality was was that I didn't, because I had never succumbed, surrendered, accepted. Um, my disease of compulsive overeating, and I had never sufficiently been brought through the 12 steps in a way that uh, brought about a uh, psychic change for me. So I was literally face-to-face myself with um, the gates of hell, believing on one hand I knew it all, and on the other hand seeing I knew nothing that was going to stop me from putting the food down. And uh, that that really was the moment that caused me to um, run to a person who I knew was recovered in OA, who had been brought through the steps, whose life had changed that I had known about, and where I was able to say after... 39 years of failure in OA, say to her, can you help me? And then from there, 
Um, and and the only thing I want to underscore again, it was certainly my case, but I and I have very heartfelt feelings for my fellow OAers that it does require this admission at depth um, to begin to pick up what the program has to offer, to begin the steps, to begin to say, God, I cannot do it. I cannot do it, and there's no shred left in me of self-sufficiency or hope or anything. And at the moment of utter hopelessness, then this paradox of the program uh, came in for me and opened up the entire program. With that, Amy, thank you. I'll pass. Kim, go ahead. Thanks, Amy. Good morning. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. The doctor said you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. So once again, we're being reminded that's the larger aspect of our disease. And as long as we believe food and weight are our problems, we're not going to address that. You know, if the food was really our problem, we'd put down the food and we would be okay. If weight was really our problem, the dozens of times we've been on diets and lost weight, we would be okay. But we have the mind, the mind of a chronic alcoholic, which is why the physical solution is not enough. And that is also why the physical solution is necessary before we can address the mind. We cannot do these steps drunk. And this explains to me why it can be three, four, five weeks out, being abstinent, having the food down, and thinking, I got it. Oh, God has removed. God has removed the obsession. I have a work step. All I've been doing is going to meetings, maybe reading some literature, maybe making some phone calls. But I think the obsession has been removed. And it's not that. All that is is the allergy is not being triggered. The allergy is not being triggered. So I'm seeing a little bit clearer. I'm getting up a little bit easier. My stomach is not in distress. That is not addressing the mind. Because what's going to happen three or four or five weeks out is I'm going to get restless. I'm going to get irritable. I'm going to get discontent. I'm going to want to celebrate, and I don't know how to do that without the food. I'm going to need companionship, and I don't know how to do that without the food. Something's not going to go my way, and I'm not going to be able to handle it without the food. And that restless, that irritability, that discontentment is going to build up, and I'm going to make that decision to succumb to the allergy again. I used one of my big things is I would go out to the, to the store, and I would buy icing, and I would buy cake mix. So they would believe, they would believe I was making a cake for somebody's birthday. And I would come home and I would throw out the cake mix and I'd sit there in my childhood bedroom in my late 20s and I would put a spoon in that icing can and I would eat the entire can of icing. And that anxiety would quell for just a little bit. But I have to tell you, it wasn't even when I got the icing in my mouth. I would be in the store and I'd have those items in my cart and I could already feel the anxiety starting to ebb. Because that mind was saying, okay, you're going to have your solution in a few minutes. Just be patient. I know there's three or three people before you in that grocery store, but it's okay. You have your fix in your cart. That has nothing to do with the allergy of the body. 
if I can feel the anxiety going down just because icing is in my cart, that is the obsession of the mind. And I'm just going to read because I don't think I can say anything better than the big book of what that feels like. What does it feel like when you're only addressing the physical? What does that feel like because I have the mind of a chronic alcoholic? And I'm going to read the bottom of page 161. Now and then a serious drinker being dry at the moment says, I don't miss it at all. Feel better, work better, having a better time. As ex-problem drinkers, we smile at such a sally. We know our friend is like a boy whistling in the dark to keep up his spirits. He fools himself. Inwardly, he would give anything to take a half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try the old game again for he isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Then he will know loneliness such as few do. He will be after jumping off point. He will wish for the end. That to me is the perfect description of that last line. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Nancy, go ahead, please. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Um, Nancy, recovered compulsive overeater in Lewiston, Idaho, and grateful to be on the meeting with all of you this morning. Um, I, uh, too, um, as Rose said, related to the first sentence and then the last sentence, but, you know, some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. I fought the spiritual aspect. It, I, I hate it when I say that. I, I've tried to change that spiritual aspect because there isn't a spiritual aspect of the program. The program is a spiritual program. But I fought it. And, you know, the very first time I was introduced to steps two and three, I thought, oh, I got that, and scurried right on past and on to step four. Well, it's no doubt um, hard to understand why my first step four took me over a year to complete because I didn't do steps two and three justice. But that was, it wasn't a deliberate thing because I didn't want to deal with um, the spirituality at that time. It was because I believed that I already believed in God. And so, you know, I had believed in God from a child, so I was good with that one. And, you know, that's ignorance there. I had no idea what the true meaning behind steps two and three really was. My problem was I believed that there was a God, but I did not believe God could do for me what I could never do for myself. And my problem, well, I had had many problems, I should say. One of my problems was that I carried this childhood perception that if I was good enough, I would find favor in God's eyes. And, you know, kind of that, you know, as a little kid, you're kind of taught if you follow the Ten Commandments, when you die, you'll go to heaven and you'll have everlasting life. Well, I believe that. Well, I took that. In, I took that childhood perception and into my adult life. And what I transposed it as, because as I grew up and um, had the childhood experiences that I had that, um, you know, growing up in a dysfunctional family, I grew up with very low self-esteem. By the time I was a young adult, I believed that I wasn't good enough and I never could be good enough and that I was a disappointment to God. That was a huge block for me because then I didn't feel like I could go to God. It was such a trivial problem and I used to believe my eating was a trivial problem, like my food. You know, everybody else can control it. Why can't I? So then, 
you know, when I would talk about the, um, you know, when I would read things about the, the spiritual program and you absolutely have to have a spiritual experience in order to recover, I would gloss over it. But I never got it. I never got you know, I would hear people talk about their spiritual experiences. And I even had one really major spiritual experience when I very first came to OA, but I didn't enlarge on it. And it, you know, it flickered and died. Um, the other thing that was a huge block for me, and I shared this um, not very long ago on this meeting, is that it was hard for me to surrender because at the time, I told myself I was afraid God would ask me to do something that I couldn't do. But what I realized as I really started working is I I don't believe God would ever ask me to do something I can't do. But, oh, boy, he might ask me to do something I don't want to do. And that was a huge block for me because so that fear kept me from that total 100% surrender. And um, I think when it talks about half measures available, there's nothing. One of the things it's talking about is you can't surrender half measures. It takes 100% surrender. And so um, anyway, what happened once I started um, listening to these meetings and really realizing that absolute necessity, and I was at a, you know, uh, Kim just read that part about being at the jumping out point, and there's one other one just on the previous page on the bottom of page 25 when it talks about those two alternatives that we had. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other was to accept spiritual help. When I was at my bottom before I came back after my last relapse, that's where I was. And I'm telling you guys, I was contemplating that I might just have to go on to the bitter end, blotting out. That was the option I thought I was faced with because I felt like I had tried the spiritual thing. That I had tried to get a spiritual experience and I found it wanting. But the problem was I had never let go completely and let God do for me what I could not do for myself. And I just had to fake it until I made it. So I started listening to these meetings and I hear you guys talk about it. Well, I talked, you know, I heard about the, you know, directions in the big book. And um, one of them is where it talks about what we do in the morning and what we do in the evening. And I thought, well, that's pretty clear-cut instruction. In the morning I do this, in the evening I do this. So I just started there. And, you know, lo and behold, today that morning and evening prayer meditation is a part of my everyday. And I have had a spiritual experience this time where I am now beginning to even recognize God's voice when he talks to me. It's an amazing thing, you guys. I, I mean, I could go on and tell you a story about this past weekend where I was actually um, going to do, I was going through my day with God in the morning about what my plans were. I got a huge impression that I should not do that, and I argued with it because I wanted, that's what I wanted to do that day. And it turns out by the end of the day that had I done what I really wanted to do and not listened to that very strong urging to not do that, I would not have been available for a critical, critical 12-step call in another fellowship where I believe the person very well could have died had I not been um, able to receive her call and go help her. That is just a small measure of how I am able today to recognize God's voice. And it's because I just started. I just started doing it. And um, now I understand why they talk about this being a spiritual program, why we have to have spiritual help. I cannot. That is nothing I can ever do on my own. 
and I am so grateful for that experience, and I'm so grateful to be here with you again this morning, and thank you for letting me share, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy. Linda, go ahead, please. Good morning. It's Linda in Connecticut. I'm a, thank you, God, a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm astonished at the sharing that's just gone on because I thought, well, I'm the only one that ever heard the gates of, besides Roland, the gates of hell clang shut from a doctor, but I did. I actually did, and it wasn't, you know, 30 or so years ago. It wasn't a long time ago. And um, so I've been in OA a really long time, and have I been recovered all that time? No, I haven't. <clears throat> and I was uh, raised on the big book, and then it disappeared in a way. And rather than um, badmouth my experience, because people did the best they could, and they're good people, um, I was given, the, and I had a relationship with God, and I had started out as an atheist. I didn't want to be, I just was. And I couldn't figure it out. And the steps had given me a relationship with God. So like Rose, I thought, why am I not getting this? Because I would have periods of abstinence. I had a fabulous sponsor, and it was clear to me that she was way ahead of me in the sense of what we now call recovered, what I've now learned to call recovered. And I, I had this sinking feeling. It was horrible uh, that maybe this was the best I could do. I'd get a year here or several months there, and I had this great relationship with God, but what the heck is missing? And uh, grace alone, a relationship with God, grace alone got me to the visions meeting. First there was another meeting, and then it changed to visions. And the clarity in this meeting and the information, some of which I did not know, I didn't understand the doctor's opinion the way I do now, and all of a sudden, things that my sponsor was saying to me about my uh, my food preferences were, oh, my God, I'm wrong. And that changed. So allergens, major allergens, not sugar but and not flour, but major allergens were out of my body. And I still realized, oh, my God, I'm wrong after all these years. And I realized I don't know how to get there from here. I don't know how to live. I mean, I knew that, but now I really knew that. The allergens I had in my body still, now they're gone. And this incredible clarity, and because of the support and the instruction and the support of the folks on Visions, I began to do what they were doing, what you all were doing. And it's like, my God, my life is, I'm recovered, and I know it. And my life is so different. And this morning, and maybe you can hear my little parakeet, sorry. Um, This morning, I began the way I begin every morning, which is I say good morning to God and I say, what do you want me to do next? Because I'll have all these plans and it won't mean bupkis. And I'll just be asking God that all day long. What do you want me to do next? And I'll be doing it. It is so cool not to be crazy in any way. I I just, I adore this program, and I adore God, and I thank you all for being there, and I pass. Thank you, Linda. Would anyone else care to share on what was read, please? Just a reminder on what was read, please. 
Penny C. Penny C. And who else, please? That would be Paula following Penny. Okay. Thank you very much. Penny C., please go ahead. Thank you, Amy. Uh, This is Penny C. from Massachusetts, a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I I found a letter that uh, Bill W. wrote to Dr. Young you know about this this conversation, and I'd just like to read a couple of sentences. He says, um, in addressing Dr. Young in 1961, he wrote this. He says, first of all, you frankly told Mr. H of his hopelessness so far as any further medical or psychiatric psychiatric treatment might be concerned. This candid and humble statement of yours was beyond doubt the first foundation stone upon which our society has been built. Coming from you, one he trusted and admired, the impact upon him was immense. You know, and, and, and I thought the first time I ever read this, this part of, of the conversation between Roland and Dr. Young, I thought, Oh, would that someone had said that to me? Oh, that would have made all the difference in the world. I would have been on the road to recovery right that minute. And the truth of it is that that probably was said to me, um, and I probably just didn't hear it. I was in such denial that I had any kind of a problem. And as 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 we're going to find out that. What what I really needed was someone, or what I needed is to to um, admit that what I needed was a spiritual experience. I poo-pooed anybody that talked about things like that, you know. And the truth again is that I did feel I did feel as if the doors of hell had hell had closed behind me when when I'd be missing out on life so I could sit in my room and, and and pretend I was ill. That's why I couldn't go places that my high school friends went or my my young adult friends went where where there might be dances or things like that because, you know, I had I I, I just had to get my fix and how would I do it if I weren't in the atmosphere of my own home because I never eat in front of people of course. So um, that's how how important, though, to, to that this this part of the conversation is that just to repeat, Bill W. actually told Dr. Young that this was the first foundation, this conversation, the first foundation stone upon which the society, meaning AA, had been built. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Paula, go ahead, please. Thank you. This would be Paula, recovered compulsive overeater. You know, as this man is sitting there, he begged. We go back just a few paragraphs, and he begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. And this is the whole truth. But this line, I'd like to scoot on right down to it. I have never seen one single case recover. Now, this man is sitting in the chair, and he begged for this information. I'd run away from it. He sat, and he begged for it. Where that state of mind, what's the state? That condition of mind. Damn, if you at least tell me there's something I can do. 
See, I can work on my outside, but Don, I had no way of getting into my own mind. It was my mind. Existed. What's existed? That's what lived there. That is him. How does he get away from him? To the extent that it does in you. All-encompassing. All-encompassing. And then we hear the clang. And until you hear that clang, and you know you can't, you cannot change your mind. You went to the best doctor, the best places. And this doctor stayed with you. And then you asked him for the truth, and you got it. And until you could hear it and hear those clangs along with it, then you knew, as we read on 151, the terror, the bewilderment, the four horsemen all coming together here. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass, and we move on to better places. Yes, thank you, Paula. Would anyone else care to share on what was read before we move on to the next paragraph? This is Sharon. Go ahead, Sharon. Good morning, and thank you, Michelle. And I'm just so grateful to be on the line with you this morning and all of you. This is Sharon from Minnesota. And I'd like to look at the first line and then the last line the first line talks to our readers who may be concerned about working this program uh, because some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help now I was on the opposite end when I uh, was trying to get my recovery before I came into the rooms I had tried spiritual help I thought even when I came into, came to my recovery, I thought I had a strong relationship with God, and indeed I did, and I still do. I had it before program. I have, and I tried and tried and tried. And when you talk about the gates of hell clanging behind you, when you feel that you have the power of the universe in your uh, intimate circle, and yet you still go out and eat, yet you still suffer every single day from compulsive overeater. That's the type of hell. That That's the type of hopelessness that is like looking up from the depths of of the sea to dry land where everyone else is at a party on dry land and you're at the bottom of the ocean with no help of getting up to the top. And that's the way I lived my life. Like I was in another world and all of you, even in the rooms, I was in the rooms for 10 years before I got the recovery I have. All of you know some secret to life that I had never been privy to. And yet I had that strong relationship with my higher power. and But that wasn't even helping me. So I lived in this never, never land of the only relief I could get was food. And when I ate the food, it caused me to have greater pain. 
So I lived every day in an utter misery and pain. And it wasn't until I found, I, I, I like Dr. Bob, who was very a very spiritual man. He had that spiritual connection, yet he drank every day and and was just constantly drunk, destroying his life, destroying his relationships until he met Bill, who gave him that fundamental, that very basic understanding that all of us have to have, and I say have to, it is essential for us to recognize that we have a disease. We have a spiritual solution, but we have a very real disease. It's a disease that affects our body and it affects our mind. So if you get just a mental solution, therapists are not going to help in in and of themselves. A nutritionist, a doctor in and of themselves are not going to help. This is a complex disease. It affects our mind with an obsession that cannot be overcome with talk therapy. It affects our body with a drive, with an, with an allergy so intense that we feel that the only relief is to take that next bite. And so we have this complex working together, pulling one way, pulling us the other way. We're torn between our minds and our body, pulling and pulling one way or another. And so we can have all of the knowledge and belief in a power greater than ourselves, but if we don't connect it within ourselves to the reality that it is that we have that obsession in our mind that's going to pull us away from our spiritual commitment, if we don't attach that together, we will constantly be pulled and be in a misery that no person can even understand or identify with. So it, it behooves us to accept the disease that we have and to recognize that there is within us that pull to do what even we don't want to do. And to reckon, in recognizing that, to surrender to the program of recovery that we have here and to that power that we have, that power greater than ourselves that can, that can bring us into recovery. But it requires that acceptance and then that surrender so that we can receive that power that can bring us restoration and healing. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. We're going to move ahead to the next paragraph. Kimmy, would you please read? Hi, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Kimmy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Yes, the doctor, oh, he, excuse me. He said to the doctor, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to such cases as yours have been occurring since early times. 
Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. In fact, I have been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangements within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. And then the asterisk says, for amplification, see Appendix 2. And um, here we go, everybody. Like, this is, excuse me, I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> this is the how and why of it. This is really the crux of there is a solution. And this paragraph really says that, you know, when I was um, back in the throes of my disease, I thought the food was my solution. That's why I kept going to it. And lo and behold, after coming to this book and really getting some more further instructions, what I realized was that, you know, the food was never my problem in the first place, so therefore it could never be my solution. So that right there was a conception and an idea that I needed to cast aside. Okay, so now I cast that aside and now what? Now I've got this like big gaping hole that says, <clears throat> okay, I can no longer use the food and I'm just left holding a bag of emotions and defects and all kinds of other ugliness that I have no idea what to do with. And what this chapter is saying is, aha, there is something you can do with that. You could turn to having a spiritual experience. And I think uh, the beauty of this book or this paragraph is that, you know, being written back in the 1930s, today these occurrences, they, you know, while they are still considered phenomena, they are happening so much more among us. There are so many more people. I mean, just by virtue of the fact that this call brings in like 200 fellows who are, you know, looking to have this spiritual experience or looking to have this phenomena means that it's happening more and more. And the beauty of it is that we are now becoming more open-minded to casting aside those ideas and attitudes which were once guiding forces of the lives of these men. And we're now putting them down and saying, I need something else. This is no longer working. And when we come to read about a spiritual experience in the appendix, we'll start to see how we can start to fill that hole with what um, food used to, we used to think food would replace. And I will say that one of the things that has uh, come up repetitively for uh, myself and a number of sponsees is just learning what the uh, the set-aside prayer is. And uh, it can easily be Googled. But really what it's saying is, I'm just going to read it here, God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about myself, my disease, these steps, and especially you, for an open mind and a new experience 
with myself, my disease, these steps, and especially you. And that's sort of the essence of having a spiritual experience, which is I am putting aside what I think I know, which clearly isn't working, by the way, and I am looking to have a new set of ideas, emotions, and attitudes that I believe will uh, help bring me to uh, recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kimmy. Would anyone else want to share on what was read? Penny E. This is Vered. Penny E. And who was that after Penny? Vered. Okay, great. So Penny and then Vered. Go ahead, Penny. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Penny E., a recovered compulsive overreader from South Jersey. Again, vital spiritual experience, vital spiritual uh, information, information. Uh, this is the crux of our recovery, crux of the problem. This is the crux of the recovery, the spiritual experience, spiritual awakening. That spiritual experience is something that happens quickly once, like Bill saw the white lights and, you know, a burning bush and so on and so forth. For me and many others, it's a, a vital spiritual awakening slowly like I wake and I stretch it's a slow experience Um, they appear to be in the nature of huge huge emotional uh, displacements and rearrangements so this is what it looks like I want to say what does this look like you know it's it's fine saying I've had a spiritual awakening I'm recovered that's like Peter Piper Pat the pickle peppers but what it is for me, I've had a total displacement and rearrangement of ideas. The first idea is that food is not for comfort. You know, food is not goodies. Food is uh, something to nourish my body. I can't look at it like the way other people look at it, and I have changed. I don't look at it that way. I don't look at it as deprivation that I don't eat this and I don't eat that. A rearrangement of ideas, I look at it as a blessing. I know what's wrong for me, you know. I look at it as a blessing that I don't walk into fields where poison ivy is there. It's a blessing that I don't walk into that so I don't get sick. It's a blessing that I get not to eat these things. Totally different ideas. Totally rearrangement and displacement of the idea that I, 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 I can do it. Total rearrangement. I know today only God can do this. And this has happened to me only by working the steps. Only by every day, constantly working the steps, I mean using them. How am I going to use this today? I have to make a return at a store. They may give me uh, a problem. How am I going to use the steps? You know, I'm going to stay calm. I'm going to stay connected to God. If the rule is that they can't take it back, I say thank you. You know, how am I going to, is this what I'm doing, uh, enhancing my spirituality? Total rearrangement of emotions. You know, totally emotions. I used to be all happy when I was excited. I came to find out in this book that excitement is something that can be very dangerous for me. You know, I was always very depressed, depressed. I've come to find out what to do with all these emotions. You know, I, I admit them to God immediately. I talk to somebody. I turn around and I help somebody else. These are spiritual experience, rearrangements. I used to go for more medication. I used to call, look for my therapist's telephone number, you know, frantically. Uh, and attitudes, a totally different attitude. 
I have been rearranged. I'm a different person today. When somebody else makes me upset or, or annoyed or uh, any of that, I don't point the finger at them. I don't talk to 400 people and tell them what they did to me. I know immediately the problem is me. It's a spiritual experience, step 10. You know, it's a, it's a uh, axiom, spiritual axiom, that anytime somebody else makes me upset, I have to take a look at myself. Practice, practice, practice this for years, you know, and it's become my, my uh, what is it? It's become my norm. It's become my norm. Totally different person. Displacement, rearrangements, and um, the old penny has been cast aside and a completely new set of con- conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. Today, my motive is how can I best serve God? How can I best serve God? And I know the first thing, first on the list, the food is down and connect with God in every area of my life. I love you all. Have a God-filled day. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Penny. Go ahead, uh, Benta, I think it is. Forgive me if I'm butchering your name, but go ahead, please, on what we've read. okay. This is Vera, the recovered compulsive overeater from Jerusalem. You know, I'm just thinking about this doctor, how fortunate we are to actually, you know, have him in the history of AA and the roots of this program of recovery. We can learn so much from him. First of all, the honesty. You know, he doesn't impose on you know, on the alcoholic, hey, you, ha- you are hopeless. It's really something, something that came up from the alcoholic asking, you know, doctor, what, what's going to happen with me? And I guess this person got to his bottom, and then he is willing to hear the truth. And, you know, we know that in the process of recovery, what we say that is most crucial is to have an open mind and to be, uh, you know, to practice honesty and to be willing to go to any length. And what humbleness from a doctor who believes in medicine and science to say, you know, the solution and the only solution is beyond human aid. And really, really, really showing us the way that we could not just, you know, so, so many times I remember at the beginning when I just started coming to OA and I was in my honeymoon, I wanted to go to any person on the street that I saw that was obese and say, hey, you're an addict, you know, there is a solution. No, no, no. You know, people have to go through what they have to go through. And when this um, student was ready and was open-minded, and could really open his ears and listen to what, you know, the doctor told him, then something started to happen. And this is the humbleness, and this is the open-minded and the honesty. And sometimes when I think about this with my sponsees, you know, to be loving and at the same time to talk, to say the truth, not just to be kind. And I'm so thankful for that and for that paragraph and for the program of recovery. And thank God that it's a seemingly hopeless state. And there is hope. And the hope is God. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Vera. 
Uh, we have time for about a one-minute or two-minute share before we wrap things up today. Would anyone like to share on what was read, a quick share, or we will close out? This is Paula. Hello. May I give you a quick share? Uh, I think I heard was it Paula. You did hear Paula. Yes, go ahead, Paula. Let's wrap it up. Okay. You know, we're going to wrap it up with the way it began. It said what this man met was the four husbands, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair, unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand, and you know what he heard. But the thing this is that so he said to the doctor, is there no exception? Even there he grasped. And what did the doctor say? Yes. Yes, he said. And you grasp onto that yes, and then you follow it through. And I know this is to be shot, but I will tell you, we are called a vital spiritual experience. Every part of you, every part of you, hear, sight, touch, every part changed. There, the total, total, and he said it so beautifully, suddenly cast to one side. There you go, all the rearrangements. There my life, there my mind. With that, I will close. Thank you. Thank you, Paula. I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Julie, would you please close us out with a vision for you? starts with our meant, is, our Hi, this meant is, to be suggestive. Hi, this is Julie, a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you.